What if I told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck? What if I told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams? This is the Right Place Right Now podcast with Travis Fields and Brandon Johnson. Today's episode is a special treat as I get the opportunity to interview my co-conspirator and co-host, Travis Fields. Travis has motivated and inspired me for decades, so it's truly an honor to share this episode and his story with you. As a serial entrepreneur, Travis is always looking for the next opportunity. His current venture is a brewery that he started in his garage. In this episode, Travis shares how he's been able to turn hardship into opportunity and how to create success through times of personal struggle by staying flexible and focused. We also get to hear what the right place right now philosophy means to the dude that came up with it. Enjoy this episode with Travis Fields. We have a treat for you today, ladies and gentlemen. No guests, but please welcome on the hot seat today, Travis Fields. Woo! What's going on, everybody? <laughs> so today, as you heard in the intro, we're doing it a little bit different. One of the things we really want to do is let people get to know us a bit in our story because we think that sheds a lot of insight and background into why we do what we do and why we interview the people we interview. So today I am going to be interviewing Travis just as if he was a guest. So we were just having an amazing conversation as we always do offline about possibility and what is impossible. And Travis was trying to get really into it. So I stopped him and brought it to the, the recording. So if you would, Travis, you heard something about impossibilities the other day that resonated with you. What was that? I did. Yeah. Uh, at church, my pastor was talking about how we rediscover different areas of our lives. And this last week he was talking about what's possible. And the idea, you know, through the Christian lens is all things are possible through God. That's what the basis of the message was. But he said something in that message that really stuck with me. And he said, impossible is an opportunity, not an obstacle. And I just thought to myself, like, what if we approach the world like that when it seems impossible, we think of it as an opportunity and what can we do and where can we go with this impossible, uh, you know, finding the opportunity in impossible, I think is such a strong concept. I've never heard it put that way. I think we talk around that a lot, but I've just never heard it put in those words before. And I just loved it. How do you find whenever something feels impossible, though, like literally by definition, finding possibility and opportunity is really hard to naturally connect. So I love that saying. I love that it resonated for you. But what was the, the spark of that behind it that was like, I can take this and do something with this? Well, I think as entrepreneurs and as leaders a lot, like our job is to come up against impossible things and make something of them. That's kind of what entrepreneurs create something from nothing all the time. And typically that nothing comes from what seems impossible. Like Elon Musk is throwing citizens into space. Now that seemed impossible 10 years ago, right? <laughs> throwing, them. <laughs> throwing them with a rocket, but he's throwing them. <laughs> uh, so, you know, just that idea of like, where, where could it go? If we thought of, well, impossible, isn't actually impossible. Impossible is an opportunity to create something that doesn't exist yet. It's not impossible. It just doesn't exist yet. And so our job as an entrepreneur or as a creative or as a leader is to find that impossible or come up against that impossible and find the opportunity within it. Ooh, 
I like that. You know, and there's there are a bunch of stories. You're right. We do talk around it. The, the four minute mile story. I can't remember the guy's name. Oh you yeah, the four, the four minute two mile. Was it, was, are you talking about that guy I used to work with? No. Oh, okay. It's something different then. Yeah, I, I used to work <laughs> with. I used to work with a guy that told me he could run a four minute two mile uh, in junior high with a cigarette in his mouth. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is impossible. You know, I don't what? know that there's much opportunity. In there. <laughs> there's opportunity. They're in a smokers running league. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're actually like the first person to break the four minute mile. It was impossible. Like scientists were telling runners that you, the human body would like the heart would explode or the human body would fall apart. And it wasn't even physically possible for humans. And then somebody did it. And I can't remember the guy's name. But then within like two years, 36 more people broke the four minute mile. And it was like holy cow, all of a sudden this is possible. What did that do for the mindset? So what are those things to bring this back to entrepreneurship and some of the stuff you're working on currently? What does that do for you whenever you're starting to realize, holy crap, everything has opportunity in it just because it's impossible. That feels weird to say. It does. It does sound weird to say, but, but really that's where I think that's where we create and that's where we break ground. There, uh, there are a lot of impossible seeming things in my world right now. Like we're, I mean, let's talk about impossible. I just made it through a service industry business, just made it through a 12 month pandemic. Like we're on the coming on the other side of it now. Last March, that seemed impossible. And the opportunity we found in that was like a drive-in movie theater. And we bought a bunch of greenhouses and created outdoor seating because our tap room was closed, but outdoor seating was allowed. So it, you come up against that and say, well, the government is literally taking away my stream of revenue. How, where's the opportunity in that? Well, the opportunity is think differently. We weren't allowed to sell beer for a while. That doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to serve the community. So we decided people are safe in cars and we have a ton of space at our brewery. We have five acres and we're only using about an acre and a half of it. So what do we have? We have a lot of space. We have this virus that's dangerous for people to be around each other. How can we work around those things? So I bought a 24 foot blow up inflatable screen and a projector and we showed drive-in movies and people were required to stay in their cars. We couldn't even sell them beer because you can't drink beer in your car. So right. it wasn't about the beer, which is what we are in existence to do. It was about we have to still serve the community in a sustainable way. We have to give people an outlet. People need out of their houses. So where in that impossible of not even having a tap room is the opportunity. You know, we did, we, we started a whole citywide beer delivery service in the midst of that. We, we just, we had a ton of what we turned into opportunities in what seemed like an impossible situation. So what differentiates you then from those? Cause there are plenty of people that went through the same pandemic in the service industry and didn't make it out of the other side. And they might not have had five acres or they might not have had, you know, some of the, the things that you did have, but they're, you're saying they probably had opportunity if they would have really sat down and thought about it. But what makes you different than those people that just unfortunately had to close up their doors? I think honestly, it starts with, starts with mindset. Um, and then it, it, feeds into the willingness to take some risks and to do, you know, I, I think impossible comes with unknowns and it comes with scary situations and it comes with a lot of fear. And that's where impossible wins. I think impossible wins when we say that's too scary, that's too big, that's too whatever, fill in the blank. I'm not going to take that on because it's impossible. Mm. But when you say 
that's impossible, but I'm going to, I'm going to lean in and I'm going to head on in it anyways and be brave. That's, I think that's where you find the opportunity in the impossible. Yeah. That finding opportunity, making it possible making it the, under the four minute mile, the two minute mile smoking a cigarette, right? Yeah. Like that <laughs> telling yourself that you can make this happen, even though no one else can. So that's, that's great. Like, I love that as a philosophy, but then you set a goal that says, Hey, accomplish this impossible. And now you're looking at this mountain of stuff you got to do and people freak out, but you, sir, are a doer of things. You're always busy. You're always piddling. I like to call it like <laughs> you're always messing around with stuff that makes progress. Is that something that's always been a part of you? Something that you've learned? Is it a skill you've leveraged? Uh, I think it's, it's both. I think it's natural tendencies for sure, but I think it's a, it's a realization that I have that skill and that strength and being willing to step out and use it. So for example, when I, I was, I don't know, probably eight years old, we had a recliner in our living room and it like the, the thing that brings the footrest out broke. And so my mom asked me, Hey, will you take this out to the, by the dumpster? It's broken. And I said, can I look at it and try to fix it? And so I, you know, even in that it was like, oh, you know, my mom was like, this is impossible to fix. Like I, you know, maybe that wasn't the, the rhetoric, but it's trash. We're just going to throw it out. And I spent three hours on the porch fixing it. And I had no, like, I didn't have parts. I made parts and I made, you know, whatever needed. I don't even remember what I did, but I made that thing work. And then I think we had that, we had that chair for probably another two years after that. And, you know, I, I, I don't, we, de that definitely was not the rhetoric when I was eight years old and today fixing this chair, but just looking back, like that definitely was an example of, I took this situation that looked bleak and, you know, like we might as well just throw it out. And I created this solution and then we had that chair for a long time again. <laughs> um, so right. I, you know, I think some of it is, is nature. Uh, but then once you realize that, like I can look back and say, yeah, I've always done that. And really when I'm intentional with that, knowing that about myself, that's when I, I think that's when I'm the most effective with it is yes, I have the skill set. Yes. I know I can, I'm capable, but being able to take the action then and saying, what am I going to do with it? Or how am I going to use that? Um, that is something that I've just gotten better at over time. And I think taking you know, the, the bigger, the impossible or the, you know, the, the further you go in a business venture, typically the bigger, the impossibles get, mm -hmm. and it's just growing from something that, you know, eight, 10 years ago, it seemed impossible for me to do anything besides be an electrician. And I'm, we're seven years into owning a brewery now. And we just, this last year hit, like we, we had our first million dollar year. So going from an electrician to this brewery that's seven years in now and growing all the time. It's just, it's being, it's being always willing to look at impossible and saying, I'll take that on. You know, I'm glad you brought up like the electrician piece because you in there, you're talking about like knowing that was a skill. At what age did you start noticing or what point in your life did you start realizing that there were things that you were really good at things that you might not be that good at? 
And that rhetoric, as you were talking about, starts to change to where you know you can be strategic about using these things. Because for a while, I you even went to, after high school, you were going to be a mechanic at one point. I was, yeah. I did a full mechanic school. <laughs> right. You knew you were good with this hands-on kind of stuff, even earlier than a lot of people. So when did that kind of hit you or did you realize that that hit you? I've always, I've always fixed things with my hands and I still like today I do a lot of construction on the side when I have time, I, I kind of enjoy it as a side project. So I'm really good at fixing things and I'm good at building things. And I always have been, I, I think the trick though, is to take that, that hands-on skill and then apply it to other things. That's really where, that's where I've had to develop those skills. Hmm. Uh, I, you know, I've always, like I said, I've always been good with my hands, but how do I take that? Like fixing a chair is much different than running a business, right? But, it, it, but it's still kind of the same skill set. but you're not using, like I'm using my mind and I'm using my planning skills and I'm using my creativity as opposed to literally using my hands and, and tools to build or fix something. It's still, I'm still building something. Interesting. Cause so, so in your the way that you're perceiving it is you're still literally building something, as you said, even though it's not hands-on and it's tactile, it's actually, you know, over policy and strategy and thought and negotiations and contracts and all that stuff. Like you get the same feeling out of those two. Yeah. Well, and I used to say like to myself mostly, but I used to say I'm not creative and that came from I'm an, like, I can't even draw a stick figure. You know, I'm, I'm an awful artist <laughs> and I think people oh. tie and I'm not, I'm an awful musician. I tried to play guitar for a few years and it just like, I, I got okay, but I never got good. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, I had this, I had this self-talk that, oh, I'm just not a creative and creativity is so much bigger than arts. Yeah. You know, so my creativity comes through, I've, I've found just through cooking a lot that I'm a good cook and I. I cook better without a recipe than I do with a recipe. Like I can mess up a recipe, but if you give me a fridge full of ingredients, I'm going to make magic with it. And that that's also how I make beer, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't brew anymore necessarily, but I still come up with ideas and I have these, all these ideas for kind of the beer lineups and the uh, you know, what, what I want to put out as a brewery. I still have the ideas for those. I don't necessarily make the recipes anymore, but I can, I'm able to think outside of the box and say, well, nobody's doing this. Nobody's doing it this way. Nobody's making that beer or, you know, stuff like that. And I, I think I am developing that with my business sense also of like that, the drive-in movie is a great example. Well, nobody else is doing a drive-in movie. Nobody else is buying green. I bought literally every greenhouse from Harbor Freight in Colorado is in my beer garden right now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it was just, I was, I was able to think a little bit ahead of the curve and say, oh, this is coming. The impossible is mm -hmm. coming again. We're going to get shut down. What are we going to do about it? How can we find the opportunity in it and take advantage of it? So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I think it began as a skill of I'm good at fixing things. I like to tinker. I like to, you know, I used to love to build like Legos and Lincoln logs and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's creating a structure from a pile of bricks in a, in a bucket, you know, and I never did the ones where it was, it was a page by page instruction. I would rather build something off the cuff. And I've always been like that. That's interesting. Yeah. You, you need that freedom, that creative freedom, right? You don't want the structure paint by numbers type type experience. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've found through running a business, especially one in a regu highly regulated industry, 
and doing a couple construction projects. Red tape is like my worst enemy. I, mm. I hate rules. <laughs> Interesting. So that's, that's a good thing for us to touch on is those skills that maybe do not come as your strength. Because as an entrepreneur, you got to be able to wear many, many hats. And then you're also a dad and a husband, and you've got a lot of responsibilities and roles to play. What are those things that you realize that you're actually really bad at? And what do you do with those? Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, 2020 was a learning year for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I mean, we, so 2014, I, I'll just give a brief backstory. 2014, we opened FH Works. And it was my wife and me and my buddy that started homebrewing with me. We were the three employees and it was all new. It was brand new. It was exciting. It was growth. It was, you know, dynamic and it was a blank slate and seven, almost seven years now later, now I have a production facility that can do five or 6,000 barrels a year. We're not quite there yet, but it can do that much. And we're packaging and we're in 150 accounts around town and so it went from this dynamic, creative, easily persuadable business model to now we have to really start thinking strategically and like the balance sheet matters and, you know, budgets matter. And uh, I never knew how much that stuff didn't excite me until I had to really dig into it. And I've, I found out about myself that I am a starter and I'm a doer. I'm not a good manager. And I don't like managing. So, it, it, you know, we're at the point, we're at the brewery now where it's it's very strategic and it's very incremental and it's all about having a marketing plan and a sales plan and standard operating procedures and yeah. processes and systems and that stuff does, that feels like red tape to me. Boring. Like yeah. So I'm already like on to the next thing. Like what, what else am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do next? Let's start a podcast. Let's, you know, right. I have all these ideas for that property that aren't the brewery. Like we're, we were just talking yesterday about the, the possibility of putting a whiskey house out there and you know, what would that take? And I'm thinking of all these ideas of how cool that could be and how would we run it and, you know, but I don't want to manage it. So right. I get to the, I get to this point of managing and I honestly, I didn't do a good job of managing the brewery from, you know, from this expansion, it was a huge expansion, multiple million dollar project. And it required me to go from a thinker and a planner and a, a long-term strategizer to really a day-to-day, -day, like we need to make sure there are dollars in the bank account so that we can, you know, keep going. And that stuff is just, it it's heavy on me and I don't like that role. And I really started building a lot of self-doubt around that of saying, man, am I, do I really have what it takes to do this? Am I really like, what am I doing? This mm -hmm. isn't, you know, and it, it wasn't going well, really. It didn't like, and it's funny, like every, how everyone told me how we're killing it. And I'm sitting in the office, like crying, but you know, because of <laughs> right. something that went wrong today. And, um, and so I, I had to come to this point where I had to come to the self-realization that maybe I'm not a good manager. And can I be okay with that? Is that okay with me? And I really had to have that honest self uh, assessment and say, you know what? You're not a good manager. So don't be a manager. Like don't keep managing poorly, find somebody who's a good manager. And it's hmm. just like, you know, I, I was working outside of my natural abilities and strengths and 
beating myself up because it wasn't going well. What triggered that for you? What was the couple? Because typically you can connect a couple dots that are the ahas of how you came to the realization that you're not a good manager, that you need to pass some of that on. Do you remember what those were? Um, I think it was, it went from, well, I mean, I got out of electrical because it was boring to me and it was monotonous and it was along with some other things. It wasn't exciting. There was nowhere to start anything. There was nowhere to be creative. There was nothing there was, you know, there's, there's a natural ceiling as a construction worker. There just is financially, uh, even title position, whatever you want to call it. Like there is a ceiling with how far you can go as a construction worker. Now right. I could always like go open my own construction company, but you know, that's, a, that's another conversation, but it, that, that drove that feeling of not being satisfied and not being happy and not being fulfilled drove me to even start the brewery in the first place. And I found myself feeling very unhappy and very unfulfilled and really like down on myself. And all of the reasons I opened the brewery in the first place, I was feeling those feelings again as a six-year-old brewery, you know? And mm. so that kind of like, oh, oh no, I felt this before. This isn't a good feeling. And, you know, my first reaction, and we talked about this off the books, is like, I need to get out. I got to get out of the, the brewery's not it anymore. I got to get out of there. Mm -hmm. That's not filling me anymore. And, uh, I mean, obviously that's not an option at this point. I, mean, I don't know. It seems impossible. <laughs> 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 but, you know, so I, I really had to think, like, is it even feasible for me to get out of this right now? And if I did, what would I even do in, anyways? And maybe there's a, maybe there's a middle ground where I'm not the guy running the day to day, but I still keep the brewery and I, I'm a part of what's going on. And so I have, I, I just had that realization that like, this isn't making me happy anymore. And hmm. last time I had this realization, I literally quit being an electrician and opened a brewery <laughs> like right. that. I, I went to that extreme to get myself out of that situation. And now I find myself back in that situation. So. I had that realization and, you know, and it was kind of like, okay, I've been here before. What do I do with it now? Uh, and it, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I have to get out. It was, how do I make my strengths and my skills fit within this thing that I've already built? So I've handed a lot of the day-to-day -day management off. We're training a director of operations right now to kind of take over all that stuff for me. And I've been able to create a whole new brand message for the brewery and we're starting to roll out all of these new beers that you know probably wouldn't have been on the slate before with with me managing i didn't even have time to think creatively so right even in in the last few months of me getting uh some of that management stuff off my plate i've i've got those creative juices again and i've got ideas and i've got a plan and i've got inspiration you know and i'm i'm feeding my team with inspiration now and uh you know, we, we've got this whole new brand identity that we're rolling out soon called craft life. And it's all about living life intentionally. And I would, you know, I wouldn't have been able to even think about what brand identity would I want to be if I was still in QuickBooks every day. Yeah. That, that self-awareness is phenomenal that you, you feel those familiar emotions creeping up and you knew what they meant for you as an electrician and then realizing, you know what, they mean the same thing even seven years later with a brewery, 
but I have to approach this differently. I can't just cold turkey quit this again and go start something else. A little more at stake now, I would say for you. Yeah, well, and it really like when you say it like that, it makes it sound like I just had those feelings and then fixed them. Really, that was it was like 18 months of being not happy again and and not really even being able to put my finger on why because from the outside, like I have everything that I set out to get six years ago, eight years ago, mm-hmm. I have it, I've got that and I'm still not happy. So that tells me that, you know, at that point there is a common denominator somewhere. And you're ungrateful. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, but the, the common, the common theme is I find myself not happy again. Right. So why? But that wasn't an overnight thing. I, mm. that was, that was 18 months of turmoil, <laughs> inner turmoil, you know, to figure out, oh, that and it, it was kind of an aha moment but it was really from months and months of not being effective and continuing to do the management thing poorly and you know thinking that oh it's all me and i'm an awful business owner and you know the the self doubt talk that comes in uh which is a huge struggle for me naturally and you know and then when when it's not going how i expected it to go that just is amplified and so it it had to be you know it had to be that it it had to be the the time of sitting in it and that wasn't you know it wasn't an overnight fix and it's not like i just know you know have all the answers right a long time to come to the conclusion that i was not even not in the right place and once you have that little answer then you know then i can take action on it but it it was not like a i feel unhappy i'm gonna fix it tomorrow you know right it it took a long time yeah. Can we dig into that 18 month window a little bit? Yeah, sure. Because I think, I think it's super important that, and exactly what you just said, it doesn't just happen. Right. And there's a lot of self-doubt and discussion and excitement and sadness and depression and unhappiness. And you go through all the motions in that little bitty window. What I want to know, because we talk a lot about like stories and paradigms, maybe not on here, but off offline, we talk about the story you tell yourself and those things that you hold on to that are not necessarily true, but you keep them as true. So you have a hard time moving on to the next thing. What were some of those truths, some of those paradigms, some of those childhood things you were holding on to that, that you had to let loose in that 18 months as you redefined your role? Yeah, I will preface it with, I have not let go of all of it fully. Um, it's still stuff I struggle with. It's just stuff I'm aware of now, but, uh, I've told, I've told the, the little league story before. (laughs) Um, and, and that's where a lot of, I think a lot of my self doubt came from is this one experience when I was 12 years old and I was in little league and, uh, we were good. We were a good team. We had a lot of good players and I was a good baseball player. Um, but I find myself in the little league championship and I was one of the, like, you know, I was one of the best players on the team, just generally speaking. And I find myself up to bat and it's the bottom of the fifth inning, which is a little league is, was typically five innings. So it's the bottom, the last inning of the game and I'm up to bat. And I remember we, it was, we were down three and we had bases loaded. So I have an, I, I have an opportunity right now to like be the hero. Right. And I get up to bat and I strike out to end the game. And I, it took me, 20 plus years to realize that that was something that I was still holding on to for that long of, you know, that taught me that when 
the stakes are high, I'm going to fail. And when it matters, I'm going to strike out is really what I learned from that. And so, but then I kept finding myself in situations where I am the one who creates these high stakes. And then, you know, the whole self-talk the whole time is, well, I shouldn't have done that. Now I'm going to fail. I'm going to strike out again. So I, that, that's probably the biggest, the clearest thing from my childhood that, that I struggle with as far as like self-doubt and stuff is that, that one strikeout. And I didn't even really think about that strikeout for, for years, for decades. And I don't even remember when I came to the realization that like, oh my gosh, I still hold on to that one day. Um, and it's, you know, I talk conversely about the other experience I had as, as a little leaguer. I was nine years old and I was playing up on the 10 to 12 team uh, that my brother was on. And I, uh, I was a pitcher. One, one of the things I did was pitch. And I find myself in the, I think it was the third place game. It wasn't the championship, but it was an important game nonetheless. And my brother was the, the ace pitcher. And I remember I was nine, he was 12. And he, I, I go in as his relieving pitcher. And I don't remember the exact situation as vividly, but I do remember that I ended up pitching that game out and we won as a nine-year-old in a 10 to 12 league. So, um, so I have that opposite experience too, that should be a confidence booster. But for some reason I held on to the negative one that fills me full of self-doubt and not the one that, that, that builds me up. Right. So how does that creep up? Because one of the things we want to talk about with the, the listeners is when you find yourself hitting these roadblocks and not knowing where that's creeping up from, all the way back to being 12 and you're, you know, you're in your mid thirties now, that's, that's a hard dot to connect. Is that something you do intentionally? Do you go through those hard times and try to look for those things that are, or how do you come to those conclusions? I I think you just have to have a sense of self-awareness. Honestly, I think is where it starts and you have to be willing to be honest with yourself. And I, I think that's probably why it took me 20 years to realize this is I didn't want to be honest with myself I just chalked it up to well that's just that's how I am that's my personality Hmm. and while that's true that personality was developed at somewhere and it's you know through a set of experiences and the results of those experiences and the lessons and the patterns that I learned through those uh, and we all have those everybody has a story and if you're willing to look back and say that wasn't a good experience and I took something from that uh, and just like willing to be honest with yourself, I think is where it starts. Yeah. So we're, we're still in that window of that 18 months where you're having a hard time kind of figuring out the next phase of the brewery or the next phase for you. What are some of those ahas that you're coming to, to make that decision or how are you filtering those decisions at all? Uh, which decisions are you talking about? You know, we talked offline about you getting out of the brewery at one point and you're not doing that. You decided to reinvigorate it with these other things. Just walk us through that process. Like you, you obviously at one point had to decide to lean back into the brewery. Yeah. And I, I really, that was, that was a short window of like, I have to get out of here. And that was totally just fear talking, Mm -hmm. but really, you know, we, with this construction project on paper, it was beautiful and, it ended up like we ended up going a million dollars over budget on construction and a lot of things. And actually my wife and I were just talking about that this morning again of, and that was in 2018, that was two years ago. And so we go a million dollars over budget and it's a lot of things that were not my fault. 
a lot of things got missed on the spreadsheet and and on the um, construction bid and you know none of them were necessarily my fault but they all end up being my problem or your and, responsibility <laughs> so i i have this brand new brewery and we really were underfunded so we had a we had an investment team come and help us with the construction funding and so the amount of money we spent ended up being that ended up determining determining what our rent payment was going to be and so you take a million dollars and figure out what that rent payment is that added 12 to 13,000 somewhere in their dollars per month to my expenses. And at that point, it doesn't even work on paper anymore. Right. And, you know, and so I now am saying to myself, well, I put myself out there and I created high stakes and look what happened. Mm. Struck out. Uh, And it wasn't even necessarily me, but now like I have to pick up the pieces of this fallout from this giant miss on construction. And so now I'm, now I'm faced with this, you know, we open in October. So right at slow season for the uh, service industry, I have to figure out how to come up with a million extra dollars in, in rent payments, you know? So that's kind of what I was facing. And it's been, you know, that's been kind of the dialogue inside since then really two years ago is, okay, that $12,000 a month should be what is helping us grow. And it's just enough to keep us open. So what do we do next? And like, where did I go wrong? Is was really the question I kept asking, how did this happen? How did we, how did I let this happen? Um, And really like objectively, I didn't let it happen. It just like, it was, I I put a team together that, um, that I trusted and we missed some big things. And it, it just is what it is. So I can't right. take all the blame for it, but unfortunately, you know, I still have to find myself taking all the responsibility for it. So, right. So that's, that's kind of what got me into that rut um, was just, I don't know how I'm ever going to make this work. And, you know, it's funny if I'm being transparent, I woke up yesterday with that same, you know, I, I have to fight it. And it has been a struggle again this week. Uh, you know, with, we're coming out of COVID and the, the weather, you know, we had a bunch of p- pipes freeze in this super cold weather last week. And so there's all these problems again, and, and we're still in the slow season two years later. So it's interesting that it kind of, you know, it's still there. Uh, it still comes up and at least I can catch it most of the time before it gets, uh, before it, it rules me. Um, but it's, right. it, you know, that self-doubt is still there. So it's, it's not like I just woke up one day and was like, I'm going to take over and I'm going to, you know, it's not like that. It's still, it's still a constant battle. What's your tool? Because if that creeps up first thing in the morning, I know there are days I'm not fighting that battle. And I'm like, yep, today I suck. And I'm just going through the motions and that that's a hard (laughs) battle to fight. How do you, how do you conquer that? I have had to let myself be okay with a day where I am not feeling it. And I try to do unimportant things on the, those days. So, for example, like I, I do all of our graphic design right now at the brewery. So is that the most important thing I should be working on? Probably not, unless it is something that just the project needs done. But can I do that? Like that doesn't take a whole lot of brain power. So maybe if I'm not feeling it, well, I know I can always make a, a beer label. Like that's easy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot of creativity. It doesn't take a lot of, uh, like, I don't have to face a fear 
Right. A lot of energy expended to do that. <laughs> yeah. So those are the kinds of things. And that's kind of how I, and some days, you know, some days I don't, some days I'm just like, I'm going to go climb rocks today and not do anything like mm -hmm. that happens sometimes. And that's okay right. too. But I think, I think it's again, just letting like not beating myself up for having those days also, like I have to be okay with having an unproductive day, just like I have to be okay with having a great day. And, uh, so that's, that's one of the, it, it's really just awareness. Like I can have a bad Monday and still come and bring it on Tuesday. Gotcha. So that, that's one of the tools. And really it's just, it's a constant awareness of this is a battle. It's going to be hard and I have to be willing to face it. Will I ever beat that? Probably not to like a hundred percent. Like that probably will always be a struggle. Um, but I don't have to let it win. And do you think one of the things you were talking about, like going over budget by a million dollars, which is 50%, right? Is that? Yeah, it was a, it was a two and a half million dollar project that ended up being a three and a half million dollar project. So it's, it's significant. You didn't like add 12,000 a month to something that was already like 200 grand a month. It was like, it literally holy doubled cow. my expense. Yeah. Doubled everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So you're going, you're, your back's against the wall, right? And we've talked about the analogy of burn the boats where there's a, a warrior leader who instructs his men to burn their boats so that the people coming, they, the only way off the island is for us to take their boats because we have no boats. Burn the boats. That's where the analogy comes from. Your back's against the wall. Your boats are fried. <laughs> Do you think you that there's something to that for you? Because it sounds like your back's up against the wall, whether it's intentional or not. Every, every time you start to get a little like, eh, this isn't for me, or you're a little complacent, and then you just kick ass. Is there, is there something to that? Well, I, I, and it's, it's, it's funny. Another thing I learned about myself in 2020 is that I'm very capable of being innovative and creative and doing big things. I have always waited for somebody else to create the urgency for me. So hmm. for example, in 2020, our governor shut the state down. <laughs> like that's some urgency, you know, right. I had to figure something out. And so part of what I'm working on for this year internally is how do I create that internal sense of urgency uh, to be motivated to do big things when nobody else is telling me I have to. It's going from like, I, I've proven to myself I can do it, but I, I've, I've always done it in somewhat of a reactive state and just imagine the possibility if you know you're capable, like I know I'm capable, if I can take that capability and that drive and the, the willingness to face the fear and do it on my terms when I want to with the projects that I want to do, how, like how much power is in that? Right. So let's talk about that in the context of the brewery. And then I want to pull it to the context of this even because there's some creative stuff that we've talked about, but you're, you're creating this urgency, huge personality shift or paradigm shift or whatever you want to call it that should lead to more success and a more thriving life and environment for you because you're not waiting on other people. What is that? That feels really hard for somebody at home to recognize something like that and to just start talking themselves through that. Do you have any tools to remind, because you said this is a thing you're working on this whole year. Is it like at the beginning of the year you sat down, you came up with that? How does that come into play for you? Yeah. And like I said, it was just a realization that like we did huge things in, in 2020. 
despite mm-hmm. all the problems and the regulations and the restrictions. And like, we still did big things. So I know I'm, like I just said, I know I'm capable. What do I do with that? Uh, but it, it's just a, it, it's, it's a, how do I want to say it? Um, I, I think it's just a, that constant self-assessment. Um, who do I want to be? I ask myself that question a lot. Who do I want to be either because of this or who do I want to be in three years or like, who do I want to become? Mm-hmm. And that drives a lot of what I do is, is being honest with like, am, am I where I want to be? Am I who I want to be? Am I the leader that I want to be? Am I the friend that I want to be? And you, like, there's always a, an AB answer to that. Like either yes, keep doing that and thrive in it or no, you got to change something. Hmm. So in the context of the brewery, what are those, let's talk about it in the context of this right place right now. What do you want to be and how are you putting yourself in the right place? I think the thing that took all of the pressure off of me at the brewery to be able to utilize my strengths in the way that is going to be uh, most effective is I just, I realized that I don't have to be the guy. I just have to find the guy. And it's way easier for me to find the guy than to become the guy, right? The manager is, is specifically in this instance is what I'm talking about. There are people who have all kinds, like every skill set and strength and creative juice in the world. Like they, there are millions of people who are good at millions of things. I'm not going to be good at all of them. So it's much easier for me to think like I have to assemble a team of people who's going to be the best puzzle when it's all put together that I can. And so I don't have to be the puzzle piece. I have to find the puzzle pieces. And that was a huge relief for me of just thinking, okay, like I can find people. Like I, I, I know the right people to find. I just got to go find them. And a lot of that happened from within uh, the organization in, in my instance, but, mm-hmm. um, but that was huge for me. That that's a huge tool is, is what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? How do I, you know, and it's not bad to, work on a weakness necessarily, but you don't want to be operating out of that weakness. So how can you operate out of your strengths? And then also, you know, on the development side, work on that weakness, but in a way that's going to bring you some success. Right. And defining those things like the urgency you were talking about being brought up by you versus brought up by others, you can start to focus on those big needle movers for yourself, those skills versus the little trivial things of I need to know how to run the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah. you got a guy. Well, and I don't like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't have to know how to do everything. Right. I have to have somebody who does. So like, I don't even know. I started out brewing. I brewed for three years by myself down at the downtown brewery, but this new brew house is all automated and it's fancy. I've never even brewed on. I don't even know. Like I would mess up a beer that went through that system. I don't know how to brew on my own system (laughs) and I'm okay with that because I have people who do. Interesting. So, so if somebody's sitting at home and they're thinking about starting a business, are, are we really saying it's as simple as finding somebody to support that weakness, whether you're paying them or not to help you get that off the ground? Is that the piece that we're missing is we think we'd have to do it ourselves? Um, I think that is a very simple way to put it. Um, but I think this is an instance where simple and easy are not the same thing. Um, it, it really is that simple. Does that mean it's easy to do? No, it still takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of uh, dedication and it takes a lot of planning and a lot of um, assessment and stuff. So yeah, simple, like the right people in the right seats is what it takes. 
but easy, not so much. I think you're right because there's a lot that goes into that. And like you said, it was the, you, your wife and your buddy that started the, like that were working at the brewery. Right. So you all were doing it. And then there's that growth of, okay, I need to move away from just running the bar to running and managing a business to now I'm leading an organization of people. So at each phase you had big paradigm shifts of what your focus was on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to do the things you don't like to do. Like I did sales for a long time and my wife did sales for a while uh, when we started packaging because we just didn't have the volume to hire a salesperson. So I did sales for eight months. I think Nikki did sales for probably about that long too. And we both realized like pretty quick sales is not, I don't want to be a salesman. I'm not good at sales and I don't like it. So it was easy for me to pass that on because I didn't feel like, like I knew, I knew after two weeks like this, I don't like this at all, mm -hmm. you know? So that was an easy one to say, okay, I'm not the right person for this, but it was a little bit harder when I moved on. And now I'm the leader of this company that has 15 employees. Like the rhetoric and the, the, uh, stereotype is, well, the guy who owns the company needs to know all the things. And I think that's untrue. You just have to have the right people. So yeah, it, it, it definitely goes in phases of like, what am I focusing on? Where do we want to go? Sometimes you have to be the guy that does the things that get you to the next level to where you can hire that person to do the things. Um, it's not just as simple, you know, and it all depends on your situation. If you have the funding and the capital and the resources, like, yeah, hire the dream team. <laughs> you know, you'll be right. successful from the start. But when you're starting from scratch and really as, as like the way I did it, I didn't even, I don't have a business degree. I don't have a sales degree. Like I don't, everything I do, I'm learning the hard way, really. Uh, so you're, you're bound to have some failures in there. And I, I think you just have to recognize those as well. Right. Yeah. So let's get into that. Cause one of the things we like to talk to our guests is that behind the scenes, the ugly stuff that no one sees, because now you've got this awesome three and a half million dollar property on five acres, beautiful view of Pike speak. If you're ever in Colorado Springs, you should visit it. Good plug. <laughs> FH beer works. Check it out. Um, it is. It's a gorgeous facility, and I think you guys, you guys did it right. It's gonna be. It's gonna have longevity. It's in an awesome spot. Obviously, the beer is awesome, but people didn't see what you were going through to get that first downtown location. Give us some insight to because you were just talking about doing the stuff that you hate, and you jump straight to like sales, and that stuff's not fun. But talk to us about that real stuff that's not fun that you had to do to even get the doors open. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I love this story because I think it gives some, gives some context. So I was an electrician. I started being an electrician in 2005 and my brother was an electrician as well. That's how I got into it. And I, I started with kind of a, you know, some motivation to be like, yeah, I want to do this and I'm going to go get my master's license and open my own company and it's going to be great. And uh, yeah, I'm going to love it, you know, and then four years into it, it was 2008, which is, was the most awful time for construction in a long time. It was just like, there was just no work and there was no, nobody was building and the housing market was down and the commercial market was down. And I got laid off, like, I think four or five times over the nine years I was an electrician. And so there was this kind of, you know, all of those experiences brought me closer and closer to being like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I started looking into what I could do instead. 
and I tried, I'm not, I won't go into too much detail about all the things I tried, but I tried a lot of different stuff and came across home brewing one day and I, I tried a, a batch of brew. We did a brew class at this brewery in town and I just fell in love with it. And I thought, man, I could see myself doing that long-term. So uh, we started looking into it, but, but really what it looked like was I decided I wanted to open a brewery and then, you know, I come up on this impossible and it's, how do you, how would I even do that? I don't know how to, I don't know how to brew. Like I know how to homebrew on a five gallon scale, but I don't know how to make beer for people to come drink at my place. And I don't know how to write a business plan. Like I have no idea how to write a financial projection. I have no idea how to find money. I have, you know, and so it took me 18 months just to write a business plan. Like probably somebody that had business school experience could write it in a month, but it took me months to just learn what should be in one. And, uh, how do you do market research and how do you, uh, you know, what's a marketing plan? I don't even know what that is. So I had to work through all of that stuff and it took me a year and a half just to get a business plan that I was happy with. And so then now, so now I have a business plan and it's like, okay, cool. What do you do with the business plan? You're still working full time, right? While you're doing all this. Yeah. I'm still an electrician Okay, working full time. So, you know, the next logical step is, well, we got to go find money. Well, where do you find money? You find it at a bank, right? So we have this whole plan and, we take it to a bank and, uh, you know, a couple of banks even kind of laughed at us and they were like, you go, you have nothing to build a brewery with. Like, we're not loaning you money. And I think we had half a dozen failed bank applications where it was like, no, we're not going to take a chance on you. So we just had to keep going and figure out, okay, so we finally got to the conclusion, maybe a bank's not the answer. How, where else can you find money? Like I've never found investors before. So I'm going to try that route. How do you find investors? And so luckily we were able to find some investment through a, a family member and um, they, you know, they, they really invested in us, not in the business necessarily. Um, but we found, we found some investment. So what's the next step? We have money now. What do we do next? So we find a location and like, we'd never done a development plan. You have to do a development plan when you, when you go in, like you have to check zoning and you have to check parking and you have to check, you know, all these environmentals and, all of this stuff that was foreign to me, I was even in construction and I didn't know how to do this. So how do you do that? And so at this point, my wife's pregnant. We sign a lease on this place and we get approval to start construction. And uh, that night, our son was born. So we go to our downtown uh, review board hearing at nine in the morning. They say, yeah, you can put a brewery in that location. That night we have a baby. So wow. we're starting now. I have a full-time job and a two and a half year old at home. And now we have a one day old baby. And so we're in the hospital. I think that was on a Thursday. We're in the hospital. We come home Sunday and I go back to work on Monday, but I also go back to work starting to go demo this old trash building that we rented to put a brewery into. And so full-time job, second full-time job, brand new baby, toddler. I'm working eight hours a day at my job. I go, I would take two lunches to work and I would eat lunch at work. And then I would leave work and go straight to the brewery and I would eat dinner out of my lunchbox. And I would work from, you know, four, four thirty till 10 or 11 at night, every single day. And I built probably 90% of that brewery myself wow. you know, with, with help, with help from friends and stuff. So eight months of a hundred hours a week working my full-time job because I can't quit yet because I'm not getting paid and building a brewery at night and a three-day-old who's now 
seven months old. And we opened this brewery in June of 2014 after that. So we're, we're exhausted and spent and burned out. And now we opened the doors to this brand new business. And like that, we really had no idea what we were doing. And are you working when the full time, whenever the business opened or did, had you quit? I quit, I quit working as an electrician about six weeks before the brewery opened so we could do all the finishing stuff. So yeah, at this point okay. I'm a full-time brewery owner and we start brewing and I had to dump the first two batches of beer that I made. Give us some context. What does that mean for a new brewery so, when you're dumping so I, gallons? Yeah, so I, I dumped before I even started, it was something again, like I had no idea how to run a glycol system, which is the glycol is what chills the beer down. So it doesn't get too hot. Uh, I didn't run it right. And so I put beer into these fermenters and it went bad because it got too hot. And I had no idea that mm. I even did it wrong until I just ruined $2,000 worth of materials. So that's how I start off as a business owner <laughs> is throwing, like literally dumping $2,000 down the drain and having to start over on wow. timeline of, well, that was supposed to be beer that's that we were going to use to open with. Now it's in the drain and I have to take those four days and rebrew it again and, you know, another three weeks for it to be done now. Now we got to start over and move our date. And so that's how we started off. Wow. And then what happens? <laughs> so so <laughs> I, we opened we open fairly well, but 10 weeks into us being this brand new brewery, uh, my brother had a, an accident at work and had a heart attack and died. So we're 10 months into this brand new brewery, already tired, already spent. And now I have this family trauma and grief. And my brother was one of my best friends. We worked together as electricians for 10 years and, you know, we were two years apart. We played sports together. Um, we saw each other all the time. And so it was not just losing a brother. It was also losing a, one of my best friends. So now we're, now I'm right. 10 weeks into a business that really I haven't even figured out yet. And I have that on top of it. With a toddler, with a newborn, trying to figure out this new thing. No job to fall back on because you let that go, right? You still have the skill set. So what is the what's the pull? Because the other guests that we've talked to say there's you can't push through stuff like this. There's gotta be something you pulling you to the other side. And we always talk about what's your why? What what's getting you through this? Because there's no ex no reason, no one would have blamed you if you would have shut down after 10 months and said, nope, we can't do this. Yeah, 10, 10 weeks, not 10 For 10 months. weeks. <laughs> yeah, sorry, 10 yeah, weeks. Yeah, brand new. So um, I, it was just like we put everything on the line for this. And it was like I don't think I had a real defined why yet. But what I did know was, uh, and I didn't do it well, I'll put that out there. But what I did know was if I don't go brew beer, I lose my house. And that's one more thing. And so really, like surviving was thriving then it was it was what do i have to do to make sure that we make it another week right and you know and my poor wife she she was doing everything at home and i was just like i i it i took it hard and right. I, I was pretty useless for a long long time like probably the first year i was i was deeply depressed and uh it was rough. It was really rough, you know, so with this, with this brand new business and little kids and, and now she's got to deal with a husband who's not present when he is home. Um, it, it was, it was tough. It was really hard. Nikki's a bad ass, by the way. And she is. 
Yeah. So you even shut the doors for a couple of days, right? After that? Uh, about, after Jason passed? I think about two weeks. We we just closed because we didn't like, we had two employees and it was my wife and I. Right. So right. who's going to pour beer? Like who's going to, you know, who's going to do all the things? We didn't have anybody to fall back on. So yeah, right. we had to close for, you know, 10 weeks in. Now we're closed for two weeks and we lost all the momentum that we had opened with in the first place. And there's trauma and grief on top of it. Yeah. And so in my experience, whenever you're in that depressed state and then you have these things looming over you, these big things that you're talking about, like I don't brew beer, I lose my house. That's not an insignificant burden to have while you're already got a lot of weight on your shoulders with the grief. I, I know you've talked a little bit about it, but like, what do some of those days look like whenever you're just, you can't do it. You can't, uh, you can't do the things you need to do today to show up. Yeah. I mean, I had, uh, I had a lot of those in, in that first year. Um, and luckily I have a wife who was super supportive and like, she had to wake me up and say, Hey, you, gotta, you gotta go make beer today. Um, it was, <laughs> it was that bad. Like it was like, I didn't have any motivation and I didn't, I didn't have any drive, but I, it was just enough to say, I got to take care of the brewery and I would go brew beer and come home and I would just be like I wouldn't have any energy and like I, I can look back and remember like the kids saying, dad, 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 dad. And just like, I didn't even hear them and they're screaming and fighting and I didn't even hear them. Just no energy for any of it. Huh? You're just in that, yeah. that loop. And so, so it was kind of just like, I got to do what it takes to get through today. Yeah. Not taking on the, what is this brewery going to look like in two years? Because at that place, when we're talking right place right now for you in that moment, it, it was get through today. You're not looking a year out. You're not looking at new branding or marketing plans or any of that then. Right. Yep. It was, it was making sure that we don't run out of beer and, and that was, a, that was about it. So what do you do to get out of that? Because I know it's different for everybody and it can be perpetual for a lot of people for a long time. What is that, that kind of momentum you can get stuck in it. How do you break that momentum and create it? going in a different direction? Yeah, I think uh, it's a great question. And I, I, again, I probably don't have a, an aha moment. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I remember uh, this guy came and spoke at our church and he was a Navy SEAL and he was in, in Iraq. And I, I don't even remember the whole story, but he, they were in this awful battle and they got ambushed and um, he was leading this team and he ended up like, taking a bullet like kind of through his face and survived it, you know? So it was kind of just one of those persevere and overcome stories. Took a bullet and, to the face. Yeah. Like went in through his ear and came out of his face and like, they had to do a whole bunch of surgeries to reconstruct his face. And <laughs> um, somehow this, like this Navy seal. Right. But, right. Um, but, but just to, like, if that guy can do that, it was one of those stories. Like if hmm. somebody can do that, then there is something in there for me to, to be able to do what I need to do. And so I remember after that, after that event at my church was really, uh, was really a turning point for me of, okay, like I can't, I can't stay where I am. And if I stay where I am, I'm going to lose this battle. Hmm. So there was that, there was that, that external motivation again, right? External motivation of, okay, other people are doing like have worse things happen or as bad of things happen and they are 
making it happen. Like they're pulling themselves out of that. So again, like it seemed impossible, but there was that opportunity in there of, I just needed to hear somebody else's story of them doing it. Man, bullet to the face. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 I tell this story and I don't have that great of a story. <laughs> no, but your I think your story is real and it's something that people can connect to because it's it's unfortunate that it's a part of life, right? Like we do these we put ourselves out there, we try to take on these things that we think are gonna better our situation, like starting a brewery, and then life happens around it. You have a kid, you have someone pass away, and you've got to figure out how to navigate that because it is a natural part of life and it is unfortunate. And we talk all the time, like talking about it helps and realizing that other people are going through those sucky situations and come out of it alive, help others, inspire others. And that's what we're trying to do with all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think that's huge is like, I'm not the only one that's struggling, but everybody thinks they're the only one that's struggling. Yeah. Like everybody thinks everybody else has it figured out. Everybody has it together, but me. Yeah. How lonely did you feel whenever you were sitting there thinking about, you know, in the grieving process? Dude, so lonely. Like I, I know other people lose people, but like it, it was so lonely. Like I, it just was like, I felt like the only one who had this problem and there was nobody that, you know, nobody I could relate to. And I just wasn't looking, but yeah, it's, that's totally true is it, it, it is it's normal. Like life is hard. And that's, that's something else. That's another realization I've had to come to. I think, you know, with that story and then we, like we had a pretty good year in 2017 and 2018, I build this brewery that goes a million dollars over budget. And so I can look back on my story and say, wow, a lot of things didn't go right. And I think I, I got into this situation in my head where I was just, I, I keep waiting for it to get easier. Like when it's easy, I'll be, I'll be fine when it's easier. And the fact is life is just hard life is hard and there's no way around that. Like you don't, like we don't get to, we talk about with right place right now. Like we don't get to choose the timing. Like would I have picked COVID, <laughs> you know, you don't get to choose those things. Would I have picked for my brother to die? No. Would I have picked for a million dollar overage? No, I don't get to pick those things. And those are hard things, Yep. but it's what I do with them. So life is hard. You can either let it win or you can, be proactive and you can find the opportunity in it and make something of it. And that's the realization I've had to come to is it isn't going to get easier. Like there's not just going to be this magical time in my life where it's like, Oh, it's everything is easy and it's all working. You know, that isn't the case. Like you have to fight for that stuff. You have to fight for success and it's never going to be easy. There's always going to be roadblocks. So if you can go into something, a venture with the mindset of it will be hard. And you know, like Brene Brown says, she says, if you're the, in the arena, you will know failure and it's not, there's a possibility you might fail. There's a chance you might have hardships. Like, no, if you're in there and if you're fighting, you're gonna know what it feels like to fail and you have to be okay with that. And you're gonna know what it means for something to be hard. And that's just the fact of life. Like nothing comes easy. If you want, if, if, if you want something, it's gonna be hard. So, don't go into something thinking that it's going to be easy or that, you know, that there's not going to be any trials or any roadblocks because there always are. Right. So that mindset of like that mindset shift of when is it going to get easy as opposed to it's going to be hard. 
what am I going to do about it? Yeah. So uh, I think you're right. I think life doesn't get easier, but I also think that we can choose a path that life can be more comfortable. And yeah. there, there's a decision there, right? There's a delineation between the life you've chosen to live that's hard for its reasons versus the comfort life that I think you actually tell me all the time, like, choose your hard. What does that look like? It's either hard because you're upset because you're sitting here not doing anything, or it's hard because you want a million dollars over budget. Choose which one's hard. Yeah. What do you, I'm having a hard time differentiating that though, because I feel like you've put yourself in these places to make life harder on you than if somebody like me just wants to eat bonbons, sit on Netflix and chill. Yeah. Well, I think easy and better don't go together. I don't think easy means better. I think, I don't think comfort means better. Mm. Um, and I, I think if you're willing to be uncomfortable, it's going to be harder, but that is where, that's where the fulfillment happens. Like in the uncomfortable, in the stretch of the comfort zone, in the unknown, that's where you're really going to find what you're looking for. And it's not going to be easy. Like that is the harder path. No doubt. That's the harder path, mm -hmm. but comfort typically, uh, comfort typically goes with complacency. Like if you're comfortable somewhere, it means that you're not growing in that area. And so if you're, if you would rather be comfortable than be fulfilled, then I think you don't do anything. Like just stay where you are. Right. But if you, I think everybody, I think there's this life that everybody's looking for to some extent. And whether it's in your job or in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids, like there's always, there's always room for improvement, but there's also, there's also comfort in, in those relationships. If you let there be comfort and it's okay to be healthy. Uh, but I think healthy requires intention also. So if you're going to have a healthy relationship, you have to be intentional about it. And I mean, think about, think about just biology, things that aren't, you, you know, when you're not intentional with what you eat, you are not healthy. And when you're not intentional with what you listen to, then, you know, it's like what you put in, you get out. Mm. Um, and so it, it works the same with motivation and with fear and with you know, like everything, everything works on that. So if you put comfort in, you're going to get complacency out. Yeah. I think that's just a good thing to, to bring up because you have always been, as somebody who grew up with you, for the people that don't know, we're cousins. You, you know, I didn't have another brother until I was 12. You were my brother from the age of two and a half on. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you were always the one that was like, let's go do this thing. Let's go <laughs> do this thing. Let's go build this. Let's, we built more forts in your property than I can. You, you can't even explain how many forts we built to people because you're always a doer of pushing those limits and making things difficult on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where where um, else have you had a trap door though? <laughs> right. I've never had one. <laughs> uh one of the things you were talking about was and I, I love this conversation we have with everybody is the failure conversation. And I distinctly remember you calling me at one point after you realized you're gonna be a million dollars over budget and you're like, I failed. This budget is over and you really had a hard time thinking that you failed in managing the project. And then like eight months later, that paradigm, that story you're telling yourself shifted. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, no, I totally blame that all on myself because I had a team of people, but at the end of the day, like it, it was my, it was my baby. Right. And so, right. 
Uh, so I definitely blame some of that on myself of like, how did I let this happen? How could I, how could I not see this coming? And I just, I beat myself up big time, um, to the point where, you know, I almost went back into that. Like, I'm never going to try anything new again because this experience was awful. And I, I had to sit in that for a long time and just say, you know, and I got to the, and I'm uh, like, let's be honest, I'm still salty about that project, but (laughs) (laughs) But I, but I don't blame myself anymore. Yeah. Why not? Like there was something that clicked on you at one point that you decided that you were still successful with the outcome. What was that? How did that rewicker itself? Well, I had to change my expectations. I, I, I expected like, you know, I write a, and I didn't write a full business plan, but I wrote like, this is what this expansion should look like and all the numbers work and all the, you know. I even went as far as to learn 3D modeling and like build it on a computer so that everybody knew exactly what I wanted. So I have this picture, like literally a picture of what this place should look like. And visually it looks fairly similar to what we built it, but the financials that it took to get there did not look like what I put on paper. So um, I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) Well, before we, I bring you back on, I just want to point out he learned 3D modeling to draw a picture of his vision. This guy does everything. I just want to point that out. Like do the things is Travis's motto. <laughs> do all the things. <laughs> no, you were talking about rewiring those expectations. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. So expectations, I had this, I had this expectation of what this place should look like. And then from a business standpoint and logistics standpoint, it didn't look like what I expected it to look like. And so Um, so I've kind of developed this theory based on that of expectations versus standards. Expectations are outcome-based. So you have an expectation, you have this picture in your mind or, or even on paper of what it should look like of the outcome. And when you don't hit that outcome, it looks and feels like a failure. When you just have standards. So I've, I've started to, to, to develop standards for what I want my life to look like. Like I want to work to play. I know that I want to, uh, be this kind of leader. I want to, so there are these standards on which have a bar. And if I'm below that bar, I can measure it and say, okay, I need to, I need to have my game in that. When you have an expectation of how something's going to look, it's more, well, when I do this, it should be that. And when it's not the exact thing that you thought it was going to be, now you feel like a failure. So even though the project happened, we're, we've been open for two years, the fact that it went over budget by expectations was a failure. I expected this to be a cash cow and it's a money pit, you know, so that, that expectation then it's measured in, well, the outcome wasn't what it was supposed to be. So now it's a failure when as a standard, like we, you know, the standards for the brewery are. We create the best beer we can. We create the best customer experience we can. We do things in our community. Those are the standards and those don't change based on any expectations. So, um, yeah, so it was just a, it was an unmet expectation of how this thing should look that it didn't happen. And so I had to really readjust how I think about expectations in general because of that. I really like that. And we've talked to a couple other guests about similar philosophies, I guess, where if you know the standard of work 
is to the appropriate standard that you're saying, not to use that word in its own definition, but if it's at a certain level, then the expectations, the outcomes will actually take care of themselves, right? I think we've talked about Will Smith, his dad made him build a wall, and he's like, you can't build a perfect wall, you can just lay one perfect brick. And you lay enough one perfect bricks, you'll have a perfect wall. That that sounds like it's kind of similar. Am I am I hitting the tie there? Is that what you're saying? Is as long as I'm doing these things at a certain standard, the expectations, the outcomes will take care of themselves? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think being able to say, well, it's going to be this level of quality and I'm not going to be tied to an, a specific outcome. Um, now, the outcome of the brewery opening, that had to that had to be a real uh, reality, mm. right? Like the brewery had to open. Um, but the the expectation of it going perfectly, like really, that is an unrealistic expectation to think that I'm going to start this project and everything's going to go right. <laughs> like that doesn't happen, you know? So the expectation, like I think we can just create, like expectations kind of get put into a vacuum and everything gets based off of what you expected to happen instead of just being able to adapt and adjust to a roadblock. I think when you have expectations, roadblocks are nearly impossible to get over. But when you when you're on a mission, like when you have a mission and a bigger picture than just why well, expect it to look like this, you know, you hit those roadblocks, you can adjust that way. And you can say, well, like my standard for quality of what this taproom is going to look like doesn't go down. Because we hit a roadblock, the expectation has to change because now we can't do, you know, whatever it is. Um, we can't do that. Now the regional building department won't let us put a fireplace outside like we wanted to. So now we have to adjust. That doesn't mean the standard has to change of the quality of what that place is. Gotcha. Great clarity. And I, I, I think we can leave, I, I think we can take that into our lives too and say, what are, what are my expectations of myself and are they realistic? And if I'm constantly or frequently missing my own self expectations, that can lead you to a mindset of failure where I'm constantly dropping the ball. Like I'm constantly missing the mark because the outcome isn't right. And, right. you know, like for example, in a, in a personal setting, let's, let's just hit fitness for a minute. Okay. If, if you go into fitness with the expectation that in two months, I'm going to have a six pack and that, you know, I'm going to be ripped in two months, that doesn't happen. Now, now what are you going to do with that? Like you feel like a failure because you didn't hit the expectation. Whereas right. if you go into it with a standard and say, I work out because it's healthy and because it's good for me. And my standard is that I live a healthy lifestyle. There is no expected outcome from that, except for that you're going to be healthy. So if you go into it with that standard of just, I work out three days a week because I want to be healthy. Are you going to miss that? You're going to hit that standard. You know, as long as you're working out three times a week, you are meeting the standard. You don't have to have an expectation of what your muscles are going to look like. You have a standard that I'm just going to be a healthy person. Hmm. I like that. So what are the, what are those, I think you give us a couple for you as far as the brewery goes, putting yourself in the right place, moving forward with the new branding you're talking about. You guys are doing a lot of work trying to really expand. You're changing your role to leading the organization versus managing the day to day. What are some of those standards that you're setting and how are you using those to filter your decisions daily, weekly, or for the vision of the brewery? Yeah, our standards are kind of set up in a set of 
core values, uh, I guess, for lack of better words. So our, our new brand image is craft life. And that just simply means live life intentionally. The definition of the word craft is to make or create something with skill and intention and ingenuity. And so that's why craft beer is called craft beer because it's thoughtfully and skillfully made. And I just had like, I, I thought why I'm making beer like that. We create our beer and we create our business like that. Why aren't we creating our lives like that? And why aren't we helping other people create their lives like that? So my new goal as a, a brewery owner is to help people craft the life that they want to live. So that means for us that we are, that we craft community. We're intentional and skillful about who we are as part of our community. Uh, we craft innovation. So how are we innovating? And that doesn't mean necessarily creative beers. That means how do we do events? How do we do partnerships? How do we collaborate? Like all of those things are in that. Uh, we craft customer experience. So what does it look like when a customer comes into our place? Well, we have we are starting to think through that intentionally and skillfully of how are we gonna how are we gonna serve our customer in the best way? We craft culture, so our team culture. How can we expect our customers to do it if we're not leading by example as an organization? And then our last one is craft self. So what are you doing as an individual to become better? What are you doing to live the life, to craft the life that you want for yourself? And how can we expect to do that as an organization if we're not doing it as individuals? Wow. So those are the five points that we're going to focus on as a brewery is we're going to craft those aspects of our lives. So skill and intention is, is really what it comes down to. I'm going to live my life with skill and intention, and I'm going to run my business with skill and intention, and my marriage is going to be led with skill and intention and my relationship with my kids and my friendships and my, you know, everything now goes through. And that's a standard. The standard now is we do it skillfully and we do it intentionally. And if I'm not doing one of those two things, then I need to ask myself why I'm doing that thing in the first place. I love it. I love that you can also tie this back to your personal life because we do a lot of this work for organizations. What's your mission? What are your philosophy, your guiding values? But it's got to be the same for yourself, right? And even if it's, if I'm crafting my relationship with my wife, my kids, my faith, my health, my finances, whatever that looks like, I'm being intentional with it. I'm taking ownership of it. I'm taking responsibility and I'm moving in, in the direction that I want it to move based on those standards that I've set. But you don't know what that looks like for the brewery. You don't know where this is going. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll talk on that a little. Actually, how I came up with this idea is I'm doing, like we're doing this podcast, and we have a whole bunch of ideas down the line for what we want to do with this this brand, mm -hmm. and it's all about creating the life that you want to live. And so I'm doing all this stuff on the side, and then I have this brewery that I've had for six years that I'm not being intentional with. And so my personal life and my personal goals and my personal motivations were not communicating with anything that the brewery was doing. And so... I made it really where it started was I have to, if I'm not going to, you know, it was kind of that assessment moment. Do I get out of this brewery or do I make it work? And if I'm going to make it work, it has to align with what I care about in my own life. And so it's not a, you know, it's not like the brewery's over here and my life's over here and I'm doing all this personal development stuff in my, in my personal life, but then I'm letting the brewery go or not, you know, not being intentional about it. 
those things have to align with each other or I shouldn't be doing the brewery. So am I, am I leading the brewery with skill and intentionality? And if not, then I need to assess whether it should fit in my life or not. And so the goal, the whole goal with this craft life uh, movement is for me, really, it started with me. I had like my brewery life and my personal life and my social life all have to align under the same umbrella. So how do I pull that idea of skill and intentionality into what I'm doing at the brewery? So that's what, that's where this came from. So let's, let's take that back a little bit further, because I think, I think this is a fantastic way to approach where you're at in the brewery now of crafting it, being intentional, that alignment. But if somebody's sitting at home and they're not as far down this path as you are, where they can control all of that, it, it seems daunting or it seems like, oh, that's not for me. I can't do it. Looking back to the person that was going, packing two lunches and going from your day job to the brewery to do build outs to, you know, plumb, tile, build a bar. What, like, what are your ahas now of what your intentionality was? What were you crafting? What was that intentional effort working towards, I guess? I mean, it was really, it was working towards, I think, what the next two to three years is going to look like for us. It, it was all, it was the action really that got me to the point where now I can say, okay, let's be intentional about it. But it started with that first, it started with being willing to, you know, I had a lot of people ask me, why would you leave something so sure as an electrician to go do something so risky? And my, my answer to every single one of them was, it was way more risky for me to think back as a 65 year old and look back on a 40 year career as an electrician that I was never happy with. Mm -hmm. So it started there. It started with saying, I want something better for my life than what I currently have created for it. So how do I do that? It's not going to happen without intentionality. Yep. Like if you don't do it, that's key. It will not happen. Yep. And, and that's the thing that I wanted is you didn't have this craft life framework back, back then, but you still knew you had to be intentional with it. And the philosophy, if that helps, great. But at the end of the day, you had to do the work. Yeah. I mean, in, anything, anything decays. Things decay if they're not being intentionally maintained. Mm. It's just true. You know, you leave a, you leave a car sitting in the backyard for long enough, the tires are going to dry rot. It, it, you know, it just everything that doesn't have intentionality behind it, the natural progression of things is decay and deterioration. And so if you don't want things to decay and deteriorate within your life or within your goals or within, you know, whatever realm you're thinking of, you have to change them. They're not going to change themselves. They will decay and deteriorate unless you take the intention and the initiative and change them. So... Your dad to two amazing, but very high energy, very <laughs> intelligent, very passionate kids who are in a handful in their own individual, right? Much less together. You got this badass wife who's probably also a handful. You're running this brewery that has, what'd you say? 15 employees. Mm -hmm. You're starting a podcast with me. You got this new marketing plan for the brewery that you're trying to roll out on top of it. How do you stay on top of all this, what, like, does all of this fuel you? Is this your, your, yeah, your fuel to keep going? Or what do you do whenever you're pouring into all of these things and you start to run a little empty? That is something I'm having to learn right now, honestly, is balance. Um, I, I could pour into all of those things and not pour into myself. And, and that's where you start to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. 
So it, it has to be, it has to like part of my crafting the life that I want is going to be uh, intentional rest and intentional fun. And, um, you know, I've, I have learned that I refuel with adventure and with social outlets. So again, it's being intentional, like where can I adventure and when can I adventure and being intentional about creating those things. And also who are my friend circles and how are those filling me also? And it's not just like a selfish thing, but how do I recharge based on my friend circles and my mm -hmm. social settings? Uh, those things are also like, I have to be, I have to craft those things too, or they won't be, be right either. Hmm. So it, it, it's just, you know, I, I could work a hundred hours a week still if I wanted to, but it's just, it, it's again, crafting the life I want. The life I want is not one where I work a hundred hours a week. And so I have to be intentional about making sure that doesn't happen. Hmm. I love it. I love that you're so aware to sit and assess all these individual things to where you can say, you know what, the brewery right now can go on hold for a few hours for me to go do this thing with my kids, or you need a day off, you'll go hunt or fish or do whatever you need. Yeah. Yep. I think, I think that's, I mean, that's really what it's about is what do you want for your life? And like, how many people really want a life in which they work seven days a week, a hundred hours a week? Is that really what people right. want or is that just what we get looped into thinking that that's the definition of success? Yeah. You know, did you ever come into brewing thinking that I'm going to want to brew seven days a week and this is going to be my life and I'm going to really just thrive and be a good brewery and own a brewery? Or was it always the business part of it that drove you? Because I think some people do find passions that doing it seven days a week, if that's for you, awesome. If it's filling you and fueling you. but that wasn't true for you, was it? Was it brewing that was really the, the passion behind all this? You know, at very first, I thought it was. But the more I was into it, the more I realized what I really like is the business part of it, but not even so much the business part, the startup part, the entrepreneurial part. Um, mm. And I've had to, again, look back and say, well, I don't like the managing part, but I do like starting things. And I do like, I mean, really, like starting a brewery is an adventure. And so it was like, it was the <laughs> ultimate adventure so. for me, you know? And so, but once the adventure is over and now it's become a day-to-day -day job, it's not exciting to me anymore. So now, you know, and, and that maybe to go back to your question a minute ago, how do I balance all of that stuff? If I am aligning with the adventure portion of, of what I need, I can do that also by being productive. Like this podcast is a new adventure, for example. So I can, I can get that sense of adventure by starting something new, even if it's a new venture and it, it, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be like cliff diving for it to be adventurous. <laughs> it's the, like, I, I don't, I don't shy away from unknowns really. So I'm okay with like, I'm pretty risk tolerant and that includes like, I used to be a crazy snowboarder and like, I love wakeboarding. Like I love those adventurous things but also starting a new business gives me a sense of adventure and uh, new friendships give me a sense of adventure. So you can pull those things that fill you out of outlets that maybe you wouldn't even think of. Oh, I love that. I think that's super important. And I think we need to capture that is 
you can find ways to fuel yourself in the context of what you're working on. You just kind of kind of, if it's not a venture that fuels you, then you probably don't want to take on a bunch of these new things like you're talking about or put yourself in the precarious situations that you're talking about. But finding those skills, those passions, and finding a way to take whatever it is you're working towards now and put it in that context so that it excites you and motivates you. I think that's super important because you could choose not to build adventure in your role and be complacent with the brewery where it is that would be easy enough would it not yeah i could well i could continue to manage it poorly you know <laughs> for a or, while <laughs> or but or the but the other option is i can figure out what fuels me within that and do that and find somebody else that management and day-to-day -day and logistics and organization fuels them so you could say that trying to dig out of a million dollar hole, that's an adventure. So within that, mm -hmm. what's my role going to be? Like, how do I stay full within that big picture in my role? And that is what kind of cool beers could we do? What kind of marketing things could we do? Now, I don't want to do the marketing things, but I want to, I want to support and, you know, I have tons of ideas. I need somebody to execute those. So coming up with the ideas is what fills me and creating this team culture is what fills me but I don't have to be the one who executes the marketing campaign. I don't have to be the one who looks at the spreadsheets. I don't have to be the one who goes over budgets. So even within this sense of adventure, that is this brewery, I have to know what role is going to be my sense of adventure within that. Yep. That's awesome. And I think you also tapped on something that's important is, and I don't think you directly said this, but one of the things I know you're working on is how do you do that for your people? How do you give them what they need to be successful in their roles? Because it might not be adventure for them, but they definitely have skills and passions that they're bringing to the table. And you and I have had some conversations about you being very intentional with tapping into those. We shed some light on what that looks like for you and how you're, that's new for you. It's kind of a struggle, right? Yeah. I'm used to just being the guy that does all the things because that's what I've had to be. So I'm actually in this position where uh, I'm having to learn how to put the right people in the right places. Mm -hmm. So for example, with this new craft life thing, I know one of my bartenders is an incredible artist and we've been trying to figure out how to incorporate his art into what we're doing for a while. We just haven't, I, you know, I just haven't been intentional. So it hasn't happened. Well, one of the things we're doing is we're going to start putting beer in 16 ounce cans and that's a little bit different packaging format than we're used to. So for these to stand out, I'm actually having this bartender of mine create label artwork for these new cans and it's this it's going to be this whole new marketing campaign around like kind of the higher end of like we're crafting all of these small batches to be different and also we're utilizing our in-house talent to make them stand out and so and i've just like this guy's been with us for two years now and in the past five days i think we've really been talking about what his role could be in all of this artwork stuff. And he is just, like, I have seen him come alive mm -hmm. in the last five days. And just like, he's texting me all the time with ideas and what about this thing? And how could, you know, we could use this, we could make stickers out of the beard labels and put them in. And like, there's this whole marketing thing we could do with that. And I want to learn how to do, you know, Adobe creative suite, which he doesn't know how to do. And so they're like, he's already after just giving him an opportunity is like, like he's ready to go. And so, that's what I'm going to try to do with all of my employees is what makes them tick and how do I tap into that and make it part of what we're doing. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a fantastic example of finding, you know, he's probably sitting there just working in a brewery and art's not a possibility, right? I know I'm good, but it's impossible for me to become an artist somewhere. And through all this, you've given him the opportunity to kind of flex that strength and you don't know where it's gone yet, though. You haven't done any of these officially yet, right? Uh, no, like this is literally a five day old idea right now. Um, <laughs> But, but he did say to me the other day, he said, I haven't for a long time, haven't been, I haven't felt like I could just be who I am. And this project makes me feel like I can just be me. Whoa. Like not even just express myself through art, but be who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a bartender at a brewery, but he gets to express himself through beer art, beer label art, you know? And so that's just one example. I have another guy who is a trained mixologist and he like nerds out on how to make the coolest mixed drinks out there. Well, we're a brewery, so we can't do liquor, but we're creating a, a craft seltzer. That's a, like, it's a neutral base alcohol mm -hmm. that's legal. And he is going to create a whole line of, um, of seltzer based cocktail drinks. So that's we're using awesome. what we have and we're, I'm, I've pretty much let him have it as you know, this is his baby. He's going to come back to me with a, a list of half a dozen or so, like craft cocktails that we're using with seltzer instead of liquor. So I'm, I'm, yeah. So I'm allowing him to be creative in that way that like he, he came to meet with us for 15 minutes the other day about this. And we ended up talking about it for two hours. <laughs> it just like, and he was talking the whole time. So it's just like, those are two examples of like, we have this skill and talent and maybe they're not utilizing it because they think, well, I'm just a bartender at a brewery. There's no, there's no creativity and there's nothing in that for me as far as like crafting the life I want. Well, I have two guys that are passionate about something and we're going to bring their talents and passions into what we're doing. That's awesome. So that's what craft life means. That's what it means. That's what like I'm crafting culture that way in letting those guys flourish and where they are within the mission that the brewery's doing. And then that mission of what the brewery's doing is in alignment with what I'm doing in my own life. So it all communicates with each other and it's all synergistic and it starts with me. It starts with me crafting my life and it starts with me crafting my business. And if I can do that and let it pour down, like my employees are going to craft the life they want. And then they're going to pour that into my customers who are then going to be inspired to craft the life that they want. Ah, I love it, man. You're, you're doing something amazing there. You're giving, people the opportunity to do what they have a hard time doing for themselves is to feel comfortable finding those opportunities, finding those possibilities, finding the, the opportunity to craft the life that they want in the context of what they do. And I want to applaud you for that because we've had a lot of conversations about this and it's something that you've been very intentional about building. Even two years ago, you said you found a note that was in the same alignment, but you didn't have the idea fully flushed out, right? Like you were thinking about this. It just wasn't quite there yet. It feels like this has come full circle because I remember very distinctly whenever you started the brewery, I don't even know if test tap was a thing at that point, but I feel like you all kind of led the frontier on test taps. You're coming up with these really cool, unique brew um, recipes. Like I just remember for some reason, Pichos and Sour Patch Kids went off the hook, right? Were that the two that I'm thinking of? Pichos for sure. Um, and, and it was like, 
really kind of unheard of. And then within a couple of years, everybody in Colorado Springs is doing it. They're doing crazy stuff like chips and salsa and things that you're like, Ugh, gross. But you really led that because it's what fed you. You had a good time. You said earlier in our our episode right now was you enjoyed putting together recipes and being creative. Now you're leaning on that from your other people. I want you to just sit in that for a second. It feels like it's come full circle and you're like, this is how we've built the brewery. That's what fed me. Now let's give that opportunity to other people. What do you think about that? Um, it, it is a much different ball game being able to do it and, and being able to support it and, uh, encourage it and, and do it through other people. Uh, it's much more challenging. And I've always kind of been that guy that's like, well, I'll just like, if it needs done, I'll just go do it. I know it'll get done. I'll just go do it. But you can't do that at this level. And so it, it's been a, honestly, it's been a challenge for me to, to really rely on the people that like I've put in the places I have to trust that they can do their jobs and give them guidance. And, uh, you know, it's not a free for all, but I have to trust that they're going to do what needs to be done within this, within this system, you know, and, and again, like I'm creating this system, so it's not, it's not cut and dry yet. So there is, you know, it, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. Yeah. I'll be interested to come back to this conversation in two years and revisit it and see where you're at and what came of all the, the logos and yeah. the, well, and you, you hit on test tap and that was like, I was crafting innovation there. Like nobody was, I did it. It was a, a we did a new beer every single Wednesday for like three and a half mm -hmm. years. So, and I brewed them all like for a long time, I brewed a new beer every week along with keeping our, our big brew schedule on. So I was, you know, I can look back and see a lot of instances where I was crafting innovation or crafting culture or cra like doing these things that I'm talking about now, I didn't have the framework for them. And now I, now that I have the framework for them, there's this sense of intentionality behind it where everything goes through that lens. So we know we're capable. Like I was saying earlier, we know we're capable. Why aren't we intentional? And if you can, if you know you're capable and you can be intentional about that thing, like the sky's the limit with that combination. So I can look back and see where we were doing it, but without intention, it's here and there with some intentionality behind it. It's going to be our, that, like, that's going to be just who we are. So it's taking those skills and talents and desires and passions and drive and putting some intentionality behind it. it it's a game changer. How do you see that you've decided to become more intentional at the brewery? We talked about how you need to be intentional with your relationships and your roles of father and things like that. Does that have momentum if you, because before you're letting the brewery go and you're putting your time and effort and everything else, but now that you're fully reinvested in where the brewery is going and crafting it intentionally, do you see that oozing over in other areas of your life? I think it gives me framework for every area of my life. Yeah. Not just the framework, the actual momentum of, of buying and leaning back in. Do you see yourself showing up differently now in your relationship now that you're more bought into the brewery? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got that drive and the passion and like the creativity, I, you know, and part of what I was, I've, I've said about COVID the whole time is really it was, it put us in fight or flight mode for 10 months straight. Like that's supposed to be a, a knee jerk, very fast over, you know, it's supposed to be, oh no, I got to get away from this predator. Okay, I got away. Now I'm fine again. So it's supposed to be used for short term situations and COVID has put us in a fight or flight mode for 10 months straight. And so they're like, it's, it's really hard to think about creativity 
when you have to think about survival. Hmm. That's part of what 2020, you know, the fallout of 2020 and COVID was really like we had to spend all of our creative energy just staying open. Right. Now in 2021, my, you know, COVID's looking like it's on the downswing and I've been able to really use that, the creative brain power and use it to do some creative thinking. And I think that's made all the difference. But yeah, absolutely. This idea of like creating the life that I want again is motivating to me in all areas of my life. But I use that framework all the time, even in like Nikki and I have started going on coffee dates every Tuesday morning. We couldn't find a time to do, to go on dates. And she has a flexible work schedule. So instead of trying to find a babysitter and making it happen in the evening and it wasn't working and we just said, well, what does work? Like Tuesday mornings, we're both open. So let's do that. And so we've been intentional about saying no to other things so that we can uh, have our Tuesday mornings. So that's just one example of like that crafting the relationship. We're doing it with intention. And like Tuesday morning is a block on my schedule that says I can't fill it with anything else because it's already full. That's just a, a quick example of. It's a good example. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I feel like I'm, I feel like alive again. And it's just this idea that I can create and that I can do big things. And now I, now I'm in the right role to do those things. Ah, it's amazing how that oozes over. And then all of a sudden you're starting to put that context in other areas and see the benefits of it. Love it. Yep. Well, where can people find you? What do you want people to know about FH, about you, <laughs> about the podcast? We didn't even really talk about the future of the podcast. We might need to do a different episode, but I feel like we talked about your story, your background, it's all led to this. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm not real. I'm not real hip on social media. I'm on there. You can find <laughs> me there. FHB works is on there, but um, you know, if you live in Colorado Springs, definitely checks out. But, but really it's just like, I, I want, I want this message to be inspiring to people. Like I want, I guess if what, if people take one thing from this episode, it's that you're capable and that you have what it takes. And all it takes is a little bit of intentionality and some honest self-assessment. So do those things, think about what you want and go get it. And it's going to feel impossible, but what's the opportunity? Go get it. He said, ladies and gentlemen, Travis fields. Thank you, Travis, for being so open and gracious with your time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being the interviewer. Yeah, of course. It's good times. <laughs> Well, we will talk to you guys soon and thanks for listening.